may be seated. And if you will turn with me, whether in your Bibles or in your bulletins, to Matthew 18, we will be looking at verses 21 through 35. Forgiveness is a topic that is discussed a lot in the church. Um, we just sang quite a few songs about forgiveness. Uh, we, we confess our sins and we're told that God will forgive us. And, th- and that's often how the church talks about forgiveness. We talk about our relationship with the Lord, of, of how God has forgiven our sins. And yet, this passage this morning covers that, but also covers the topic of how do we forgive those who sin against us? How do we forgive those who have done wrong to us? So let us look at this passage from Scripture this morning, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he brought one to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is a difficult topic to talk about forgiving other people who have wronged us. It is so hard to, to take on the sins of others and the burdens that they have caused in our life and, and wipe them clean. But we recognize that that's what you've done for us, that the sins that we have committed against others have been forgiven for you, by you, that the sins that we have committed against you have also been forgiven and our debt has been wiped clean. We pray as we consider the sins of other people that we remember the sins that have been forgiven. And we pray that the depth of our heart that we examine it and know that all the sins that we've committed can nothing, nothing can compare to the sins that have committed against us. And we pray we use it as a light to share the gospel to this world by forgiving those who have sinned against us. In your name, amen. So how are you at forgiveness? Would you say it's easy for you? There is a bug. We're all going to be aware of this bug right now. Um, It's probably going to fly around during the sermon. That's okay. We're just going to ignore it and move on, okay? We're all on the same page with that, right? Okay, good. Um, So how are you at forgiveness? Forgiveness for an insect, for example. All right, so how are you at forgiveness? Um, Would you say it's something that is easy for you? Would it be something that you say, say kind of, comes natural to you, that it's, you're just quick to forgive others who have done wrong against you? Like when a waiter messes up your meal, 
does that ruin the evening? Are you able to let it go? When you feel slighted by someone, do you tend to grow cold towards that person? Do you tend to withdraw and try to avoid that person? When, when you see that face of that person, that, that does wrath and anger build up inside of you? Is there bitterness in your heart today against someone? The bitterness that desires their failure and downfall, where, where you rejoice when you hear of their failures and you mourn when you hear of their success. In the cast of On Monteo by Edgar Allan Poe, it is a short story, and although it was written in 1846, the desires of the main character, Montessor, can still be felt today by us. You see, Montessor seeks revenge on his friend Fortunato because he believes that Fortunato has slighted him in some way and injured his character. So Montessor, knowing Fortunato's desire for wine, says, I have this rare bottle of wine in my family catacombs. Come and taste. So Fortunato follows Montessor into the catacombs, and of course there is no bottle of wine. In fact, the plan that is executed by Montessor is to say, I never want to hear or see from you again. So he seals him away in one of his family's catacombs without, his, without him recognizing what was going on. So he never had to see or hear from him again. And that seems rather harsh to seal someone away, uh, bury them alive, but in the world today, it might be a little appropriate. Not in a physical way, but if you say or do the wrong thing in culture today, you run the risk of being canceled and being cast out from society to be sealed away and never heard from again. Because right now the world wants revenge, the complete destruction of a person for doing one wrong thing, and that is the norm. And that is actually the norm of our hearts as well. Do one wrong thing against me or my family, and I want to seal you away forever. I never want to hear or see you again. But God tells us that we are to be the opposite of that. Scripture actually assumes that if, if we've truly experienced the gospel, if we actually recognize God's forgiveness in our life, then we will be radically forgiving to those who have done wrong against us. And, and by contrast, if, if we are unforgiving, if we are resentful, if we are bitter, then it actually shows us that we actually don't understand the gospel. We don't understand God's depth of forgiveness for us. So where are you at today? I know this is difficult. I know that, that the temptation of my heart is to seal people away as well as to, to cast them out, to be like, I never want to hear from you again. And as hard as this passage is to hear and to be challenged by, there is hope in this passage. There is the hope that we can hear about the great forgiveness that Christ has for us. And there is the hope that we don't have to hold on to bitterness in our hearts, but instead we can have a heart flowing with grace and mercy and love. And that we can have a radical presentation of the gospel to this world through the Savior's forgiveness. So let us hear first today of the forgiveness that we receive through Christ. First, how, in, this, in this passage, how, do, how does the conversation start? And we actually didn't read the previous set of verses, and, and you can go back later and look at them, but Jesus had just finished talking with his disciples about reconciliation, about when someone does something wrong against you, how do you approach them? How do you go to them? How do you make your relationship right? So what is Peter's follow-up question to that? 
Look at verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So, so basically Peter's question is, how many times do I have to forgive a person? And, and we both can praise and critique Peter's question. First, we can praise it because in those days, in Judaism, you actually were called to forgive someone three times. That was sort of the, the, the call for the people of, hey, that shows a, a generous spirit. Three strikes and they're out, but give them, give them an opportunity three times. Forgive your brother three times. So Peter actually goes further and, and more than doubles it, saying, Lord, can I forgive my brother seven times? So we can praise Peter for saying, hey, I want to go further than the norm at the time. But what still is Peter doing? He's doing what we do as well. Lord, give me a count. <laughs> Lord, Lord I, I, I want to know at what point can I protect myself? At, where's the line, God, where I can finally cast that person out? Is it seven times? Is, it, is that enough where I can finally say, I no longer want to do anything with you. I no longer want you to inflict pain on me. I no longer want to deal with the hardship that you bring to my life. So how does Jesus respond to us and Peter? He, he actually gives us by saying such a large number that there is no count. <laughs> yes, he does say 77 times, but if we have truly forgiven people in our heart, can you make a list of the 77 times that a person has wronged you? There's no way. It's actually an, an unmeasurable number because there's no way that you can remember someone sinning against you seven, seven times where you, at that point you can go, all right, finally it's been 77 or 78, I can cast you out. God is actually saying there's no number. And I know this is jarring for us because we want an exception, right? We desperately desire to say, there has to be guidelines in place that keep me safe. There has to be guidelines in, in place to keep my pain down. But Jesus actually gives us guidance by launching into a parable. Look back at verses 23 and 20 through 25. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So right away, the amount that the servant owes to the master is unbearable. Commentators try to, you know, make it into realistic terms today, but, but basically they're all over the map other than all of them say, look, the servant was no way going to be able to pay back this debt. And just to give you the, a reference, Herod, the ruler of that day, his, his sort of rulers of his providences, who were his sons, were to be paid 900 talents a year. So even the, the princes of the kingdom would have had a hard time paying back this debt. So this is an unpayable debt by pretty much anyone. And so look, the writing, on the, the writing is on the wall for this man. There is no hope. The, the, the payment is due. Pay the money. You don't have the money. You're going to jail. So what does the man do? He begs for more time, right? And, and so, let me get this straight. Someone comes to you and says, you owe me a billion dollars, and you go, just give me more time. What, a week? A month? Oh, oh you mean the rest of your life, and even after that, you're not going to be able to pay back this debt. And so, we understand the, the response of the servant. We've seen movies where people beg for more time. But what's unique in this situation is not the servant, but the response of the master. Because... The master actually doesn't do what the servant requested, right? 
The master could have said to the servant, okay, I know you're never going to be able to pay back this debt, but at least you can pay back some of it. At least I can recoup some of my losses. But yet, what does the master do? He has greater mercy, greater love, and greater forgiveness than the servant could even hope for. And actually what takes place and what we need to recognize is there's actually pain being felt by the master. There, this, this is not the master saying, oh, don't worry about that cup of coffee. This is the master actually wiping out an entire estate, if not nation's wealth, from his wealth. It is, it is gone, never to be repaid back. He has no hope of it returning whatsoever. And yet he acts in the interest of the slave and not in his own interests. And what is this a picture of? This is a picture of God's love for you. Christ, the very one telling this parable, is foretelling what he is going to do for the debt of the sin of the world, of the people of the world. And, and, and he's going to do this for the debt that is so great for each and every one of us, so that it is wiped clean, so that he says, you owe it no longer. And, and, and this is a picture for us, because here's the thing, it is so easy for us to remember all the bad things that people have done against us, right? It's so easy for us to remember how people have wronged us, and yet in this passage it is calling us to remember all the ways that we have wronged other people, and all the ways that we have sinned against God. Think, think about all those things that you have said about people, that you have said to people, that you have gossiped about people, how you have, have murdered them in your heart and in their heart by saying the wickedness that you have that has come out of your mouth. Think, think about how you have lived your life in such a way to make sure that you are protected, to make sure that you are comforted and have forgotten the comforts of those around you. Think about if you just took time to make a list of everything that you have done wrong, when would the list end? Even this morning we confessed in our confession of sin that there is no way I could remember all the wrong things that I have done. There is, but, and that's the thing is there's no way that I could live the rest of my life and pay back those wrongdoings. And you see the temptation of the servant is our temptation as well. Our temptation is to go to God and say, God, just give me enough time. Give me more time and I will get better. This is even a temptation for Christians, even those who know the gospel. Our temptation is to go to God and go, I'll try harder. I'll do better. I'll work better. God, just give me more time and I will become a better Christian. But there's not enough years to make it right. If you ask even, even those who've been believers a long time, if you, if you go up to them and say, have you made it? Are you good enough now? Are, are you, do you do only the right things and, and avoid all the wrong and you've paid back all the bad things that you've done? They'd say, no way. The only one who's been able to pay back my debt has been Jesus. So you can attempt the same solution as the servant, to beg for more time, to say, God, just to, to spend the rest of your life trying to make it right. Or you can actually take on the master's solution and have your debt be completely wiped clean. And this is the gospel, is that Jesus came and he said, I am going to take on your debt of sin. I am going to go to the cross and it is going to be painful for me. It is going to cost me my life, but I am willing to wipe it clean, to cast it out so that it is no longer counted against you. What a beautiful picture of what takes place in our life is when we recognize that and we go to God and say, God, grant me forgiveness. And he says, your debt is gone. You owe me no longer. 
There is nothing that you can do to pay it back, and it will not be counted against you. And this actually reckon, this reminds me of a woman uh, that I was reading about recently named Jamala Williams. And, and Jamala talked about how the debt was so overbearing in her life that if anything went wrong throughout the month, she would owe more money at the end of the month because of the interest that was occurring on her loans. She had student loans. She had a car payment. She had, she had credit card debt. And she said, if, if things don't go perfectly, by the end of this month, I will owe more money. And it was almost like she was living a life where the debt was just increasing time and time again, and there was no way she could get out of it. And imagine if someone came to her where she recognizes this debt can't be paid by me, it will never end, and yet someone comes to her and says, your debt has been paid. Those bill collectors who are calling, those bills that show up in your mail, count against you no longer. What would her reaction be? To rejoice to celebrate, to say the debt has been paid, it has been gone, and this is the debt of the sin that you hold in your hearts. Just change the story to say, wait a second, those, those times in my life that I have committed sin, those times in my life that I have done wrong, listen, I know about those tapes that the devil plays in your head at night where you remember the wickedness that you have caused to others, those things that you have said to your family, those things that you have done, and I know that the temptation is to say, I owe God for this. And yet you get to respond when the devil brings those tapes to your head to say, the debt has been paid. It has been paid by the master. It is no longer counted against me. I no longer owe anything on this sin because God has paid it all. And that is what we get to experience through the gospel. So let me encourage you, if you feel that, if you recognize your sin, call out to God and he will forgive you. All of it. It won't be something where spend the rest of your life paying me back. No, it's been paid. It is gone. It is no longer counted against you. And now we recognize how we should feel, and, and we actually recognize how the servant should feel, but the question of this passage is, does the, does the servant, now that he has seen and received the master's mercy, what impact did it have on his life? Let's look back at the passage. Verses 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And once again, the, the amount owed is important in this account. Because on the one hand, the amount owed to this, to this servant by the other servant is about 20 weeks of wages. So if you want to make it easy in today's term, just round it up to half a year. So imagine half your year's salary is owed by someone. That's a lot of money. That's, that's not a small amount. This, this servant is not demanding, again, a small payment. This is a large amount. But it obviously has to be taken in light of what had just been forgiven. The this, this is a payable debt. The one that has been forgiven was unpayable. And what actually takes place is we actually get a revealing of the servant's heart. We actually get to see that there was no effect on him. There was no transformation of lifestyle or, or the way that he interacted with others. 
Maybe on the outside, he rejoiced. He obvious, obviously, there was other servants who were aware of what took place because they were disturbed about how he treated his fellow servant. So he obviously rejoiced on the outside. He talked about the forgiveness of the master. And yet, we see that his interactions with others didn't change at all. He was exactly the same. And, and here's the thing is, as a pastor, I can't know what's inside your heart simply by looking at you as much as I can't know by looking at a piece of cooked chicken if it's raw or not. And I know it's a funny analogy, but just bear with me for a second. I can't cook, but I attempt to grill. So when I first uh, attempted grilling, I would put the chicken on the grill, and, and I'd set the timer, as the recipe would say, and, and the timer would go off, and I'd take the chicken off the grill, and I'd go into the kitchen, and I'd cut into it. And what was it? It was raw on the inside. It looked done on the outside, but it wasn't. And surprisingly, there's an amazing invention that you should all buy. It's called a thermometer, all right? And you, stu you stick the thermometer in the chicken, and even if it looks cooked on the outside, you can know whether it's raw on the inside or not, or whether it's cooked all the way through. And what this passage is actually challenging us to ask is, are our hearts still raw? Or have they been changed by the gospel? Because here's the thing, is maybe as a believer, you can talk about all the ways that God has forgiven you and all the good things that God has done for you. But if it means nothing to the way that you interact with other people, your heart is still raw. You still don't know about the love of the Savior. Because here's the thing, is when I say, I can't forgive what that person has done to me, what we're essentially saying is that person's sin is greater than mine. And we actually don't know the depth of the forgiveness that we have received through the Savior. And, and what this passage is calling us to is, is actually a really, really deep forgiveness. It is not just a, a surface level of, of, oh, I've been forgiven for, my, for some of my sins. No, this is a deep forgiveness where we, where we repent and remember all our deepest and darkest sins. And what it's saying to us is actually that forgiveness for others isn't possible unless we recognize forgiveness from God for ourselves. And, and this passage not only gives us a gauge or a thermometer for our hearts, but it actually gives us a key to forgiving others. In order to forgive others, you have to be in recognition constantly of the depth of your sin and the forgiveness of that sin by our Master, by the Savior, by Jesus Christ. And as much as I say, as a pastor, I can't know your heart, I actually get to get glimpses of it. And there was recently that I was talking to a mother about her teenage son, and, and her teenage son was having problems and struggling, and surprisingly enough, that happens to a lot of teenagers, just to let you know, parents of teenagers, they struggle. Um, so they were struggling, and they were having a hard time. And as I was talking through with the mom, at one point she said, uh, you know, if God could forgive a sinner like me and rescue me, I know that he can forgive and rescue my son. And, and in that moment, I had to stop and go, I know what your son has done. <laughs> I don't think you've done those things. And even comparing myself to her, I go, I'm a worse sinner than you. I don't know how you have that viewpoint of yourself. But we recognize what she had. She had a depth of her heart. Her heart had been transformed by the forgiveness of the Savior. And in our hearts, our hearts can actually, it, it, our, in our hearts, it can be taken away the destruction and, and the hope for bad things against other people. And instead, what can flow from it is not bitterness and anger, but actually what can flow from it is mercy and grace if you get washed in the mercy and grace of the Savior. In, in the, and, and what we actually get to do is that 
God can overwhelm us with a love for those who have sinned against us. That, that by standing up here today, worshiping the Savior, saying, God, thank you for giving me my sins, we actually can stand shoulder to shoulder with the person who sinned against us, and we can pray and hope for God to show mercy on them as well. For them to know about the Savior's love, for them to be forgiven for the sins that they have caused against us. And that is a wonderful picture of the gospel, is that we get to say, I don't hope for their destruction, I hope for their mercy. I hope for them to know the same love that I have experienced because my sin is much greater than theirs. And I want them to know what it's like for that debt to be paid. And I recognize that, that taken out of context, this passage can actually seem like just a simple morality tale. Because look at the end of the passage. This is a little hard for us to comprehend, but we'll work through it. It says in verse 33, And you should not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You will not be forgiven if you do not forgive. Perform. That's what it can feel like. And it, it reminds me of the morality tales of children where, you know, you had the chicken who wanted to make the bread and invited the other animals to help, and, and the chicken went out and picked the grain and then said, help me pick the grain. The animal said no. They said, help me knead the dough. The animal said no. Help me bake the bread. No. Bread comes out, and the animals are like, great. And the chicken's like, you don't get any bread. It's a classic morality tale where it's, you performed poorly, so you get the results of your actions. And yet in this passage what takes place. It's actually the opposite. The one who has been wronged is the one who forgives first. It is not the master recognizing that the servant forgave someone, so now he'll forgive them. No, no, no. He forgives first and then calls the servant to forgiveness. And, and this is not a morality tale, but this is actually foundational to our forgiveness for others because it's based on what has happened to us because this has happened, we are now called to do the same. We are not simply to go and perform, but we are actually, it's a cause and effect situation. The cause, and, and here's the thing, the cause and effect took place where? Not on the outside. Not, oh, you know, because the master forgave me, I need to grin and bear it and say, all right, I guess I have to like this person. No, where did the cause and effect take place? Inside our hearts. It's, it's actually our identity that has been changed. And it flows from who we are at an identity level where forgiveness and mercy flows out of us. It's not just do good and perform, but it's actually to say, I recognize who, he, who God is. I recognize what he's done for me. And now I must do it for others. Forgiveness that is true and real and deep is one that flows from our hearts, flows from our identity in Christ. And when we actually understand the gospel, when we embrace the gospel and understand the, the, the forgiveness of our own sins then, and the depth that God has forgiven of our, of our own sins, then we are going to be able to say, there is no sin greater than mine that I can't forgive. We will be quick to forgive even the smallest infractions, even the big ones. We will say, my sin is greater and it has been forgiven. And look, this won't just impact us and our relationships with others. This will impact the world. Because look at what, what sort of negative ha thing happens with this servant. Look at verse 31. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. You see, the fellow servants were distressed because they knew about the forgiveness. And similar to, to Christians, we as Christians can go, God has forgiven me. And yet we can go out and demand payment from others. And people say, wait a second, something's off here. They talk about how God has forgiven them, but they can't forgive others. And this is what these servants saw. But here's the thing is right now we have an opportunity to be opposite of where the culture is headed right now. As, as Bill Maher puts it, we live right now in a culture that has a religion without forgiveness. Tweet something off color as a teenager in high school, lose your job 10 years later as a result. Forgiveness is radical right now. It's actually countercultural. It can be actually one of the greatest displays of the gospel that we have because forgiveness reflects our Savior to the world and forgiveness reflects our love to the world and forgiveness heals us but also heals the world and heals others and forgiveness will be a light to the world. And this is actually just the story of basically every martyr. But this is actually the very good story of the martyr to Korea, of how the gospel came to Korea. At that time, Korea, it was illegal for missionaries to come and present the gospel. So there was a man who went on a boat just carrying Bibles in the boat. And at one point his boat sinks and he picks up the Bibles in hand and he, and he wades to shore. And as he gets to shore, there's government officials there waiting to beat him with clubs to death. And as he is beaten to death, he starts handing out Bibles to those who are killing him. And what ends up happening is one of the government officials takes the Bible to his house and uses the pages as wallpaper. And what do you think happens in that home? The family begins to read about the forgiveness of the gospel. People who visit his home begin to read about the forgiveness of the gospel. And what that government official recognized was that that man was instantly forgiving us as we killed him. In that moment, that man was willing to forgive us so that we may know the forgiveness of the Savior. And what God is saying to you is, are you willing to be a martyr for those who sin against you? Are you willing to let go your right to be bitter against them? Are you willing to let go your power over them where you say, no, 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 I'm better than you? Are you willing to let go the need for revenge? Are you willing to put together put to death your bitterness so that someone may know the forgiveness and mercy and love of God. The one who forgives your sins calls you to forgive the sins of others so that they may know the love of the Savior. And so we can go forth this morning knowing that we have an opportunity to stop trying to pay back our debt to God, but instead we can say this debt has already been paid by him. And we have an opportunity this morning to bask ourselves in the forgiveness of our Savior so that we may be quick to forgive others. And we have an opportunity this morning to have an impact on this world by being radical, by being countercultural, by saying, you are not canceled by coming to this church and doing one thing wrong, but in fact, you will be forgiven 77 times and even more than that. And there was, there was a, a book called Sayings of back then where, where it kind of talked about uh, a saying that was said uh, back towards the gospel times. And, and it, the saying said this, In those days, there was no limit on hatred and vengeance. So among Christians, there is to be no limit to mercy and forgiveness. 
And can't the same be said today? In these days, there is no limit on hatred and vengeance. So among us, there is to be no limit to mercy and forgiveness. Let us pray.